Hello and welcome to the Schooner Pod. I'm your host, Bobby Howard. With me, we got Jameson Maxwell and Ty Lee, as usual. And we have a jam-packed fo- show for you here. OU's back on the winning track with a 28-21 win against the Iowa State Cyclones to close out their home schedule. But the big, bad Oklahoma State defense awaits them this weekend in Bedlam. It's a must-win if they want to continue their Big 12 streak. We'll talk about that later. For now, we have a uh, a very interesting OU game to talk about. Um, Jameson, th- there was a lot of good, a lot of bad, but overall, the uh, this Sooners team, who we you know really weren't high on high on entering this week, you know they got a win. Um, and I, I got to ask you, like, as this game ends and as we move on to Bedlam. How, did, is this what you expected? Is this a this? Are you feeling good? How, what's what's your temperature like? It was right around kind of what I was expecting from the game, but as a whole, there's some minor details of it that caught me off guard. And we are obviously, as a podcast, going to talk about the bad first because y'all sickos love to hear us complain, <laughs> and everyone's just pessimistic in nature. And I think the biggest thing to talk about to start the podcast, and I want to hear y'all's um, thoughts on this, is. Caleb Williams and what are we going to expect from him for the rest of the season? I feel like he's not producing much as of recently these past couple games, you know, especially versus Baylor. Then I would say he's having trouble getting the ball to the wide receivers. Is that a him fault or is that the wide receivers not getting open fault? I've been talking about the whole year. I don't think our wide receivers have great route running and separation ability and it's showing, um, but Caleb was missing some of them. Um, is this more of a Caleb, you know, apprehension to get the ball because of a side effect of the benching maybe? Or um, is he just, you know, having freshman yips? And we don't want to hear the – I don't want to hear the yip word at all. <laughs> you don't, we, don't, we don't speak about the yips. But, Ty, I got, what, what do you think? Do you think it's a, it's a matter of the yips here with, uh, with Caleb? So it, it can't be discounted that he is a true freshman. Um and and all the, everyone but everybody knows the the whole backstory right about not playing and, and everything else. So there's no reason to, to dive into that. I that can't be discounted. But this game, I'm a known hater of them as a position group. But this game, I really thought because I like James and I watched uh, from home. Um, I really thought it was on the receivers. Like it was there was a lot of a lot of plays, which maybe like four or five, but for this type of play, a lot where Caleb Williams had it seemed like close to 10 seconds in the backfield of, you know, he moved around a little bit, but poised, composed, you know, going through different progressions and stuff and just had no one. There was, there were so many plays where there was so much time and it wasn't like he was doing the Rattler, like locked in on one thing, trying to force it, or he was distracted by other stuff. There was a lot of times where he had six, seven plus seconds um, back there or, or maybe more. Um, with just nothing available to him. And you look at the receiving stats and that kind of, you know, tells, tells the same, same tale there. There was some, you know, missed throws like, like Jamison said, but uh, Mario Williams was sort of the leading receiver with, with two catches. Yeah. And you know, the, I, I think the receiving core a, as a whole has some issues. Um, as well, they didn't have about. stoops. They didn't have the RWR one. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Greg right. Stoops was out. Uh, assu- I assume with that flu that uh, kind of came out 
um, towards the, you know, right after the game, about, uh, allegedly 20 plus guys affected by this. Um, that Lincoln had whenever he missed the press conference that everyone thought the LSU was, um, flight was happening. So this has been going on for like a week, guys. Yeah. And, and Spencer had flu. it. Spencer had it on the sideline. With, he was wearing a mask. Like it just, it, it, it seems like it was in it, like a, a pretty big widespread issue. But um, wide receiver wise, yeah, no, only only two receptions uh, for for Williams and Hall. Uh, you know, you, that is just a, a, a red flag, massive issue that your uh, that that your passing game is just a, a, a mess. Uh, and I, I don't know how much you can blame it on Caleb. I, I think partially some of it is on you know just the inexperience, but I think a lot of it's on uh, play design. I, I I feel like you know the the. the the route diversity for the most part just wasn't there. Um, you know, a, a lot of guys kind of going long, you know, I, I, not for verts because obviously Lincoln Riley is smarter than, you know, a 12 year old playing just NCAA barely. 14, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like Caleb was kind of put in positions where his two options were chuck it long or, you know, kind of scramble around and take a sack. I mean, he, um, yeah, he had 12 carries, uh, yeah. which is sort of indicative. Well, I, I, and I mean, Look, he, he should have twelve carries a game. He had he had sixty seven yards and his long was seventy four. So you can put two and two together. That's a lot of sacks, um, which is an issue. Um, but uh, I I, I kind of feel like the the whole offense as a whole and the play calling and the schemes and everything. I, I feel like that's a bigger issue than is Caleb making the right decisions because I I. I don't know how much was there for him. Uh, you don't have that running back uh, receiving game that we've had in the past. We, we haven't had, uh, you know, even though Jeremiah Hall had two catches, you know, he hasn't been a uh, massive part of this offense like we've had uh, in Dimitri Flowers, you know, that type of uh, player. Um, and then, of course, the tight end uh, situation with uh, Austin Stogner, as we've talked about at length, he, he just isn't the same type of guy that he was last year. Um and that's that's been an imp- that's been a massive impact. The ability to check down, make these quick little passes, it, it's just not there for him. Uh, and I don't know if that's him not looking for it or, or what, because we've we've seen him just look off guys in the flats before. Uh, I will say, I, I think a lot of his hesitancy to throw the deep ball might be from that Baylor game because uh, you know I think one hundred percent there's that in there. Yeah, because if you if you throw two picks and get you, you could get benched. You're like, you know, the, I, 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 and I hate that because I think quarterbacks need the freedom to just not have that, you know, weighing on them. And, you know, it, I, I'm bummed to hear he had to, he, he seems to have that. Uh, but you know, that's, that's, that's a freshman for you. The, here's, there's a lot of things going into it. Whenever I frame this question, I kind of put all my thoughts into it. I think one, what you said, Bobby, is definitely prominent. It is not the obviously over like riding answer to all of this because I think the why our offense is struggling is multiple things. But Caleb Williams, whenever he came into the Texas game and then his games after that, you, we were always applauded because he was throwing the ball and making big time plays and letting his receivers go up and get it. Um, did I cut out there? Are we good? Are we good? No, you're good. Yeah, you're good. Okay, yeah, yeah. okay, okay, great. So, sorry. Um, but yeah, he went. He let his wide receivers make plays, and that was a huge deal because Spencer Rattler was not doing that. Uh, but then, you know, as his team started to get tape on him, and he started to get scouted like all quarterbacks. We saw it with Texas Tech's quarterback last week, and as I said, you know, he can have a great one week, but once you get tape on him, he's going to not look as good. Happens. Um, people get tape on him. They find his tendencies. 
and then he starts to make mistakes as all quarterbacks do. But when Lincoln Riley doesn't let him make the mistakes and realize that my leash is extremely short, then inherently I'm not going to take many risks if I know my consequences are very, you know, harsh. So that's just human. I mean, that's not like a, you know, a quarterback needs to be more, you know, he needs to be more gutsy. No, that's just human. If you know that there's risk to taking something, you're going to be a little bit safer. Just think about just everyday activities where if I'm holding like a very sharp knife, I'm not going to go running around the house with it. You know, like it's just, it's, it's just what we do. It's built, built in this. And I also, I really want to hand this wider receiver thing. Cause if you've been listening to this pod, you've been hearing it from me all the time. Ty and I have been talking about Jane Hazelwood and how he can be a wide receiver one, but this dude just can't run that many routes to get open. I understand there were a couple times where Caleb missed them, but for the majority of the game, I'm not seeing our wide receivers get open. And Mario Williams is a guy I believe in the most because he has the quickest feet and the best separation ability. But other than that, our wide receivers are not really known for separation. Yeah, no, definitely. It's a, it's a, it's an issue that that we have, and and it's, it's one of those things I think schematically that you you have to adjust for, and uh, it sure seems you know not to keep piling on the same talking points, but it sure seems like we have a, a receiver scheme that's still set up for CeeDee Lamb uh, and, you know, guys like that. And and we're not mm-hmm. dealing with, with those guys, not that they're as skilled, but there's different builds, different, everything else. Uh, j- real quick, Jameson, how much do you think the, uh, the injury is playing into Hazelwood's route running abilities, or do you think it's probably just a, a skill or, or development thing at this point? So coming into college, uh, his, I feel like his pro comparison on 247 Sports is really poor because they called him a Keenan Allen. Keenan Allen has some of the best feet and separation at the line of scrimmage in the NFL. And that's not what Jaden Hazelwood is. Jaden Hazelwood is a little bit smaller of a Julio Jones type with less speed. Um, got you know he's got really good i know that's sad to say but like jones to be the best best (laughs) nfl wide receiver at the time you know like he is a guy that i'm gonna go up and get it and i don't care who you are think like a mike mike williams of the chargers hate to bring up you know another chargers wide receiver but like like this is a guy that i'm just gonna go up and get it over you i'm not a stellar route runner um, but that I'm just going to catch balls and have great hands, even though he should have gone for two hands in the corner of the end zone for one. Like a, uh, yeah. like a Plexco Burris. Yes. No. Yes. That's a, honestly, honestly, not no, bad, that's a but, good, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. a good, yeah. But, that's but good the thing is with ACL injuries, you lose your lateral quickness. And I, I harp on this a lot in the off season. So people who have ACL injuries, you know, quarterbacks typically return just fine because you're throwing, you're stepping into your throws, you're fine. But running backs, wide receivers, the people that have to make cuts and go back and forth and make sudden movements, those cuts are a little bit slower and your feet feel like a little bit more like a brick. So that route running does not help at all. Um, So, yes, I think that's also a key component of it because people after ACL surgery, not many of them, if any turn to 100%, they're usually 90%, 95% shells of themselves. But other than oh, that, I think there's, there's some other, there's some other, there's some other things that we can talk about. Cause we, we really want to keep this short yeah. on the Iowa state talk. Cause we got a lot of talk about with Oklahoma state. Cause it's a big game for us. I, I, one other bad thing that I saw, um, and I feel like a lot of people are talking about is that last drive um, that where we were kind of just giving it up to Iowa state. And we were worried that, you know, they could go in and tie it. And it got really close at the end if it wasn't for an interception. 
But here's my take on it. I don't want to hear y'all's takes because I know a lot of OU fans are pissed off about how that game ended. I feel like the way Grinch was scheming that defense was, and I was talking to Bobby about this yesterday a little bit, is a lot of the times you see, and especially in the pros, um, where you don't have you have running clock if you stay in bounds, they were trying to play against the clock. They were giving, you know, giving them a lot of the middle of the field. They're playing single coverage and they're putting Justin Broyles on an island versus Charlie Kolar. And Charlie Kolar is going to win that matchup a lot of t- more times than not. But those are all plays to the middle of the field. So if you have those plays completing over and over, the clock's running, and you know that you have two things against you from the offense now if that's happening. You have the clock and you have the defense against you. So he said Grinch is probably thinking at least one of those things can go our way and we can win this game as long as we hold out. Um, So that's my argument there. I understand people were really pissed off at the scheme of that, but I think it worked out. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and I, I don't think that last drive was really the problem. I think a lot of the anger is coming from uh, the last Oklahoma offensive drive, which was just um, not very inspiring. Four plays, negative six yards, uh, in a position where you really need to extend it out, you know, milk the clock a bit. That I, I think a lot of that came from that. Uh, Iowa State's last touchdown drive as well was also... Um, uh, pretty annoying as well. So I, I don't I don't really know if the last Iowa State drive was really the issue. I, I, I get that it can be frustrating that you just want them to get off as quick as possible. Um, but you know, uh, I, I, after talking with you yesterday, I kind of agree with your with with uh, your thought process. I kind of think it was schemed out like that, and it worked. Um, once the field got kind of got shortened up a bit, and you know they started doubling when they were ready to double, it it you know got a pick so. Yeah, I, I broadly agree with with you guys there. It it was a uh, it very much seemed it was like a it was like watching an NFL game. You know the the scores, sort of how it how it turned out and, and stuff, is a lot more reminiscent of of an NFL game than what you would imagine a Big Twelve football game. Um, but I I think the, the big thing to criticize maybe is that Iowa State had a lot of momentum right there, but. Yeah, ultimately it did work out, and and that's all that matters at the end of the day. You know, you can you can play the, oh well, what if this had happened? At the end of the day, if it works, it works, um, and and that's what matters. But uh, yeah, I, I think the the defense, you know, not a not a whole ton, obviously not amazing, but Iowa State was averaging thirty three points a game coming into this. Uh, we held them to twenty one, so that's you know I don't think you can be upset when you you hold a a decent team. Uh, to, you know, 12 points fewer than they're averaging per game. That's that's pretty good. Yeah, and I, I, I kind of want to ask you all this because uh, this was a very interesting game. Uh, if, if you look at it, there, there are a lot of positives. The defense played excellent, um, and, you know, like like I said, holding them to 21 points, that's pretty good. Uh, but I kind of want to ask you all, was this game closer than it looked, or do you think it was – you know, just kind of, or, or do you think OU played a more complete game than the final score um, indicated? Uh, because I, I'm, I'm not quite sure. Because on one hand, you have all of these uh, turnovers, these big moments for OU uh, that you know, there's an argument to say Iowa State gave this game up. Uh, but there's, you know, also an argument that OU was very, very close to putting together a pretty complete ball game. So it's, it, it, it's tricky. Um, to tell what the temperature is on this, if, if that makes sense. Cause I, I don't know if OU's, if, if OU's closer or, or, or what here with that, de- with that defensive performance. Yeah. I, I think that this was close to a complete game. It was not though. 
Um, but I'm going to take – I can see both sides of your argument, Bobby, but I'm going to take the side that this game was close, and it was close. And because of a couple – maybe three big plays in this game is the reason why we felt a little bit comfortable. I understand that last drive was a, a little bit dicey, but for the most point, that second half, we were feeling pretty good. Um, and the, I think the biggest play, you know, other than the thick six of um, Jalen Redmond was – when Antoine Harrison gave up the edge and Caleb Williams got um, sacked and fumbled, that and he picked up the ball and took it out for a couple more yards, and we did not get a safety. We did get on get on touchdown on that drive. That was a huge, huge, huge game turning play because that is a momentum killer right there. So just if it wasn't for the Caleb Williams seventy four yard run, he wouldn't have done really nothing this game at, at all really, other than one touchdown pass and under 100 yards. Um, and then the thick six, and then that play, that, goodness gracious, the things just went our way and not as much Iowa State. Yeah, this this Iowa State team, just a lot of flaws, a lot of mistakes in this game. Ty? I, I do have to say, I, you can't talk about sort of those OU lucky things without talking about that uh, pass that I still don't understand uh, the ruling there where the Iowa State player – uh, looked to me like he got it an incomplete. Um, and then after saying that he caught it, I didn't understand how it wasn't a touchdown, but it somehow resulted in them getting the ball at like the half yard line, uh, which, you know, without that, obviously it's, it's nowhere near as close of a game. Uh, yeah. but I, I do, I do understand that though. Well, let me, you let me understand the that, call there? I, yeah. I, I, I do understand it. I'll hit on this call. I'll make it really quick, but I want to hear about your response to Bobby's. Cause so yeah. what happened if you were confused about why it was an out of bounds, the guy who was stripping the ball, once he touched the ball, he was out of bounds himself. So once he has contact with the ball and he's out of bounds, it's out of bounds. So that was the reason there. Okay. But what the problem was is like these refs are watching this. In, to begin with. Well, yeah, because they're watching it in freaking slow-mo. And if you watch it in slow-mo, you think he makes a football move to the thing. If that play would have happened on the 30-yard line and not near the end zone, that would have been an incomplete. So that's my thing there. But I want to hear your response if this was like a, a closer-than-usual game time. I'm sorry to interrupt. But I yeah, no. No, no worries. Um, it was – this was coming into the season. I know we've had a lot of disappointing games. This was one coming into the season. Obviously, we expected Iowa State to be a lot better than they turned out to be, but this is one that I would just be happy. You know, seven points, fine with it. Like I, week zero, had you told me, hey, we're going to beat Iowa State by seven points, we got the win. Um, so, but I do think that the score uh, for once was pretty reflective of, of the game. I, I, I do think it was a seven point game pretty much the whole time. Obviously, like we said, there was you know, maybe some points added to the board, maybe some points left off the board uh, just with various happenings. That's that's the chance element of it that is also, you know, makes it an enjoy, enjoyable and a, a charming sport. But I, I do think that the score um, sort of reflected the, the performance. Iowa State is a true, what are they, five and three now or, or something like that? Oh, no, they're, they're six uh, and five. Six and five. Okay, yeah. No, so Goodness, was way, we, are, was, we are not in week many nine weeks right off. now. Yeah, no, but uh, yeah, but they're... Uh, I think they're a true uh, six and five team, and and I don't think OU is that far off of it. Like, you know, we've talked about before, had a lot of luck and, and a lot of just things going our way uh, coming into it. So I, I think the teams were a little bit more evenly matched than people would think. Uh, but yeah, glad we got the win. Yeah, I I feel like this game was very close for like OU was very close to breaking this thing open, and with a couple right breaks they could have. Um, but I mean that's the story of the season. 
OU just not capitalizing on you know mistakes. It the offense just just couldn't take take advantage of these things. Um, and luckily, in this case, rather than Baylor, um, the mistakes that Iowa State made uh, were way more serious than the ones Baylor made. Uh, you know, if you had a thick six thrown into that Baylor game, totally changes the, the makeup of that game for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, but that's the thing: good football teams don't win because the other teams mess up all the time. They they win because they're better, and uh, that's that's the issue with OU. I I, I don't know. If, they're remotely figured it out um, because it just, I don't know, just not fully there. But um, before we move on from this game, we, we have to have to give a shout out to the defensive line. An incredible performance, I would say. Uh, we've been kind of on them all season long. And, you know, truly, you know, Perrion Winfrey showed up. He had that massive hit on Purdy. Um, I thought there were a lot of really good performances out of, out of uh, Benito as well. Uh, Brock Purdy was getting just hammered the entire time. Maybe got concussed, Jamison. What was up with that? Like that, this pissed me off. I, I have to talk about this in the pod, and I, I I made it an effort that I have to say something about this. A man cannot be out for thirty minutes, get his helmet taken away from him, go to the locker room. Obviously, did not pass the initial concussion screening. The game gets close, and then he comes back in. That is just that's just fraud. That's just ridiculous. Like I, I don't. I don't know if there's the, the concussion screening protocol is different than college and in the pros, but if you do that on the pros, like you get like investigated. That is not how you do things. Like that, that obviously he did not pass because when you get your helmet taken away from you, that's like oh you're out, and you don't get your helmet given back to you after a concussion. So I did not like that at all, and it really really pissed me off because that over thirty minutes at least he was out of the game, and then he's within seven. Here he comes trotting back in. It it really is not a great look on Matt Campbell, and it's not a great look on the Iowa State medical staff at all. Um, because, you know, like you said, you, you, that just doesn't happen. There's nothing that you, that can happen in those thirty minutes where it's where it's okay. Um, so, you know, it, it, just a tough couple of weeks for Matt Campbell, uh, for sure. Mm, from the ridiculous, yeah, just 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 a really 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 bad look. For sure, for sure. Yeah, but let's let's talk about the DL because I really was very happy with the way they played. And per- noted biggest Perry on Winfrey hater right here. Um, I was pleased with some of the stuff he did. I still think that he was bull rushing too much. Just he, he just stays so high. He just bull rushes and hot, stays high. And if he finds the ball, he gets lucky. And whenever he finds the ball, he's so violent and athletic. It's going to be great. That big play that he, you know, the big hit that he had, it was, he was just trailing the ball and Purdy turned right back to him and gave him the one hit. Um, and then the two hit, you know, with Dale Aaron Turner, yell took Purdy out. But, but like that, okay, Perry on Winfrey, that was a, a fun play, but was it really a good play? No, it just kind of just fell into his lap. But he still played really well. Perry on Winfrey, um, you know, out of the four, D-line was not the best, but the other three were absolutely great. Isaiah Thomas, another great game. Um, obviously he needs to get better at tackling the ball, but he's still making big time plays. Um, Nick Benito has been, you know, just great and steady the whole year. And then Jalen Redmond, do we even have to talk about Jalen Redmond? Once he's back on this D line, it feels like we're back to the old times of the beginning of the season where we thought the D line was by far, far and away our best unit. I forgot about this. Uh, so maybe I, maybe I've moved on from, the uh, Perry on Winfrey haters club a little too early. How about that awful unsportsmanlike conduct penalty he got where he just chucked the ball at Brees Hall? Just, just so, so moronic. I was fuming in the stands when I saw that. Is he the new Buki tie? 
No, no one will ever. <laughs> no one will. No one will ever be the next Buki. So we, I was we, trying we to did... think of that meme, but <laughs> it's like we do got to not him because he'll never be him. Oh my god! I'll we say gotta... this: Broyles did kind of look like Buki in this game with Charlie Kolar just working on him. But that that really wasn't as much Broyles' fault. He, there's only much, so much he could do. Yeah, I, I yeah. will. I will say, you know, it is it, not to diminish our really good performance by the D line, but uh, it is it is fairly easy to have a good game when you're playing, you know, just barely above high school level opponents with uh, oh, oh shut up. Rock, Iowa State. Iowa State was better. Bruce than Hall. That. This we Iowa Bruce State Hall team is better than yards. five and six. Which was great. Brees Hall, he, he had that one really good catch, and that was about it. Um, was not he, he did not look like the Brees Hall of, of years past. we got to give a couple shout-outs to uh, – I, I thought Key Lawrence was really excellent um, after DJ Graham was injured. Uh, he, he did a great job filling back in, or, a return to, to form for sure. And our guy, Delarin Turner-Yell, another really good performance as well. Uh, game he had ball. a bad penalty too, didn't he? Not as bad as Perrion's. Yeah, like I, a, a I, discipline, I, I like penalty. I, th- I I thought he had something like that, like a after maybe the, after the whistle stuff. You know what? The brain is trained to remember the bad things to the the people you hate. But if it's something you really like and you really like that person, and they screw up once. You know, it's really well. Easy it's like it. not all <laughs> exactly. not all unsportsmanlike penalties are created equal. You know, throwing True. the ball back at someone like a like a kid at the elementary playground automatic one. is like one thing. Yeah. But then you got like the legendary, like Baker Mayfield on the sidelines, like mixing it up with the case state or the Kansas like student section. And then, you know, gesturing towards the, the opponent's side of the field, just that's like a legendary, like pretty cool. And then you got like just the on discipline. Yeah. But he, he, Baker didn't get penalized for those though. That, you know, but that's just... what I'm saying. It's like that t- or like the Johnny Manziel, like the double flipping off the dude after scoring a touchdown and then pointing to the scoreboard. I just... Tauntings can be cool or they can just be really lame is what he's kind of getting at. And Baker's yeah. was very cool. He wasn't charged for it. That is cool taunting because it's really in the heat of the game and people are just barking at each other. Just throwing the ball back at somebody is a lame one. It's like like once you get the ball in basketball and you slam it on the floor and it goes up above your head and that's automatic technical. That's just, just a lame one. It's lame and it's very obviously going to get called. It's it, – Talk talk your shit whenever you get to the sidelines. It's just mm-hmm. I don't know after after the after the deed's been done. Um, so I, I I hate it, but yeah, um, I think that's about it for this game. Uh, give a shout points? out to Pat Fields. I want to give a shout out shout out to Pat Fields too because he had a really good game, tackled very well, came up in the um, you know and was making open field tackles, had the interception um, on Senior Day. This was his best game that I've seen of him in his whole career at OU. Um, and he's a guy that gets a lot of, you know, crap as a guy that obviously deserves it because he's had a lot of bad games. And I don't know how talented he truly is, but this was a big time one for him. Um, so I, I got to give him the shout out. Ty, are you, who we haven't been doing as many game balls on our past pods this year, but do I even need to ask yours? Because yeah, he don't. did lead, he did lead the defense in tackles. Yes, he did. Yeah. Yeah. It's got to be DTY. Injuring other people's key players, you know, <laughs> which was obviously heinous, targeting heinous penalties. Oh. Yeah, just a lot of tackles. What more can you ask for? It was a miserable. Like it was so bad. Like once you saw it on TV, I was just like, "How?" It was like right to the face mask, crown of the helmet. Like what? Like how did they not call targeting? 
it, it was a whiff for sure. I, I, I got to give a shout out. DTY's my game ball because of course, but uh, Jalen Redmond on top of the thick six, that uh, incredible, uh, you know, scoop and score. He did have four uh, QB hor- uh, hurries on the game, which is uh, really good because OU has struggled to get hurries this season. And uh, the addition of Redmond has been an, just complete, you know, re, re- just re uh, injuvenating uh, for this defense. And I'm, I'm, I'm pretty pumped about that. So, mm-hmm. uh, and you know what? We, we completely, we spent all our time talking about Caleb that we forgot to talk about, uh, probably the best player on, on offense, Kennedy Brooks, 17 carries, 115. And, uh, honestly, he could have had a lot more and this game yeah. could have really been closed out if we just ran the damn ball more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like people are saying like run the d- damn ball more and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but remember, we weren't really getting our gaps much, especially in that Baylor game and then the Texas Tech game. And at the beginning of this game, I was starting to worry it was going to be like that. But then we moved more towards like a zone running back style where you could see it was a lot more reads and, you know, um, you know, RPOs some Caleb style. And once the game got going, Kennedy got going, and then we started running the ball a little bit more. You could see a little bit of an adjustment, not as much as the OU fans obviously wanted. Um, but that opened up this game, and during, in the third quarter, we felt like we had control because of that run game. So that was definitely huge. Yeah, th- there was one particular drive where Brooks was just leading us all the way down, and then we got in the, the red zone, threw it three times, and missed it. Yeah, that was goal. bad. That was awful bad. play calling. Awful play calling. But you know, what are you gonna do? Uh, if your if your if your head coach wants to throw the ball, he will throw the ball. Uh, mm-hmm. So. This Thanksgiving, be thankful for family, food, and free bets. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has a turkey day no-brainer you can't miss. New customers can bet just $1 on any Thanksgiving NFL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. Just one point. And of course, if Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still get in on the Thanksgiving NFL action. Make your first deposit, and you can play free for millions with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. And best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So, download the DraftKings Sports app now, use promo code TPPN, bet just $1 on any Thanksgiving NFL game, and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a point. That's promo code TPPN. This Thanksgiving at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Anyways, I think that's just about it. Uh, any final thoughts on Iowa State before we move on to uh, Cruden Corner? Yeah, let me get my game ball because I, I didn't. I'm not. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fields. Give your game ball. No. Um, I, even though I enjoyed Fields' game, I'm not going to give him the game ball. I'm going to kind of go off the, you know, it's I, it's kind of weird because it's not like I, I feel like it's just because it's a really needed position in this defense, and if this guy's been not doing that well for the past couple of weeks, our defense would look even worse. I think Asamoah needs to be talked about a lot more, and the way he's playing is just really, really well. Him with Deshaun White next to him, and the way he rushes the ball and brings pressure next to our defensive line. That made Brock Purdy so uncomfortable and left the pocket so many times during the game. And whenever Brock Purdy left the pocket, things did not go well for him in this game. So whenever you see Osmo coming up the middle really fast and you have a great D-line in front of him, 
there there's not going to a lot good happen um, with a uh, frazzled quarterback. So I wanted to give him a shout out. I want to give him the game ball just the way he's been playing these past couple of games. I like it, like it a lot. Okay, that wraps up Iowa State. What we thought would be a game of the year, and uh, just kind of in reality, was just another football game. So time to hit the music. David, yes. what is this, David? This is a rooted corner with Jamison. Everybody dancing. Oh, that's nice. All right, so we haven't had a Cruton corner in a while because it's kind of been a little standstill. But we're recruiting, we were doing this talk at um, 8 o'clock on Monday night. And so in about 18 and a half hours from now, we'll be getting an announcement from Chris McClellan of Owasso, Oklahoma defensive line, a high four-star prospect of where he'll be committing. And right now, a lot of the experts in the boards are still kind of out on him. There was a lot of crystal balls that came in this past week of him going to Florida, but still there are reports coming out that he's not sold on that because obviously this Dan Mullen stuff does not look good. And no one wants to commit to a school that has that much. It's a, first of all, it's a bad culture. You know, there's, you know, Dan Mullen did not a good, do a good job in the way he left. And secondly, no one wants to go to a place where you don't know who the coach is. Like you don't want to commit to a team and you, they don't have a clear, um, you know, idea of who it's going to be. Um, so, uh, and he's pretty set on this commitment date tomorrow. So it's, it was us between us and Florida. So there is a chance that we could kind of slide in and get Chris McClellan here into this class. If he does commit tomorrow, I do not feel good about him moving forward. He could be a possible decommit watch as he starts to learn more throughout the process before signing day hits in about a month and some change. So that's a name to watch. And so um, y'all be hearing about that tomorrow. Uh, Keep an eye on that. Uh, So that will be at, uh, you know, in the afternoon, I think like 2.30, I think was the time on that um, for the commitment tomorrow. Let's watch that. Um, we were kind of also talking about another defensive lineman that um, if we didn't get Chris McClellan, we could hope we could get him. And it's another similar skill set um, in Hero Canoe. Um, it looks like he is heavy leaning to Ohio State now. So he looks like he's not in the picture. So getting Chris McClellan will be big. And it is a huge priority for us to have good defensive line with a lot of guys on this defensive line leaving in this next draft. But that's all I got, Bobby. Um, I, I think that's just a big note. There's a lot to watch. Obviously, once we get into December, there'll be a lot more Cruton Corners and a lot more news. Um, but right now, Chris McClellan's the name that y'all need to watch. Um, hopefully, he commits to us and stays with us. And then we'll continue to watch a couple of those other guys I've mentioned in the past, like a Marvin Jones Jr., Edge Rusher, and hopefully he can get a commitment to us as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I I have a new hotkeys thing I've been trying out on StreamYard, and every time I switch over, it never works. So I probably need to abandon the hotkeys because I keep leaving you and you and Ty, Ty abandoned. Yeah, I keep thinking you're having technical difficulties because we, we'll stop talking, and then I look at your screen, and you're like frantically looking around and clicking things, but nothing's <laughs> happening. So I'm like, oh, he must be. I'm just slamming on the Z and the X button over and over again, hoping for it to work. But I, the issue is I'm, I'm looking at stats and other stuff on the other screen. Um, but yeah, hey, thanks for the crew and quarter update. I'm very excited for, uh, you know, national signing day and everything. Everything's hyping up, getting closer to it, you know, as we inch closer to December. So, all right, let's talk about this one. A massive game, Oklahoma at Oklahoma state. Um, 
the Cowboys have been incredible since they lost to Iowa State. One touchdown given up. Uh, their, their, their defense has given up one touchdown since that loss, um, which is just insane. And I, I, I'm pretty sure it was a third-string defense. I, I don't know what has happened, but this team who struggled against Missouri State and Tulsa and Boise has somehow rev- just popped up and become an absolute defensive monster, uh, one of the best teams on third down, uh, one of the best defensive teams across the board in the country. Um, and the Sooners going into Stillwater with a sputtering offense, um, just in general really wobbly. And look, if you replaced all of OSU's branding and, and just gave, you know, called them like, I don't know, uh, whatever, Blue Mountain State or something, I'd be horrified about this. But there's that one thing that always comes into Bedlam, and it's the fact that OSU inextricably will be OSU. And Mike Gundy is 2-14 and 14 against the Sooners. So, Jameson, entering Saturday, how do you separate this, you know, just daunting challenge ahead of the Sooners with... The, the history and that thought in the back of your mind that OSU always kind of finds a way to screw it up. Um, and, and I, I got to ask what's, what's winning, what's, what's taking the lead right now, the logic or the uh, gut feeling that the pokes will, uh, you know, inevitably do a poke thing. I think the logic is leading because a lot of the OU fans have seen throughout this whole season, all of our faults. And like I said at the beginning of this podcast, that we are very inherently pessimistic in nature. So even after a win versus Iowa State team, who's a very competent and a good win, even and we cover the spread, guys, too, with that. We did better than what Vegas thought. There's still a lot of complaining about what went wrong. So whenever you look at this, you see an OSU team where I don't see many weaknesses. Yes, they have very high strengths on defense, and maybe their offense can be a little bit better, but they're very complete. And that is what OU does not have. We have the highs of highs and the lows of lows. So yes, we could have the highs of highs on Saturday, pull out a great game and win this. But for the most part, I'm going to err on the side of the teams that are solid and are just complete, something that Lincoln Riley has been just asking for this whole season, um, have a much better chance to perform. So I, I think the majority of fans are thinking logically here. And they should, because this OSU team's legit. Um, it's, honestly absurd and sickening that they're nine and uh, kind of makes all of our arguments uh completely valid that this this conference is disrespected this these teams are disrespected and that there's no real reason like how osu went has look they have one loss their one loss was a very tight one against iowa state and they're they're, they're still sitting at ninth they're gonna bump up a little bit but you know if you look at the metrics you know, they're on par with Ohio State defensively. They're on par with some of the best teams in the country, and they're getting completely disrespected because, they, because they're because they OSU. If they had a Longhorn on their helmet, they'd be fine. If they were wearing the Crimson and Cream, they'd be fine. But the fact of the matter is these brands just aren't respected, and that is a, 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 an intrinsic problem with college football. But it's something we got to do to change. Um, we, that's something OU has to do, move on, because... It, it, it is it, it's just insanely dumb that they're 10 and one and it, it just speaks to the I, I guess perceived weakness of the big 12 um 
but anyways, sorry, I'll, I'll jump up, jump, jump off my soapbox, Ty. I apologize. You've been no, waiting I, in the wings. What are your thoughts on the logic versus the knowledge, or just kind of that background? So I'm going to follow up sort of your last statements first, and then work my way back. Uh, I, I brand obviously is is massive. Um, in and uh, not to sort of like, I don't even think play the victim would be the right term uh, as an OU fan, but. Uh, like you said, if they had a Longhorn on their helmet, they could be number two in the nation. Easy, I think. If, if this OU swapped the records around, um, you know, I, we'd probably be in the top four. I don't know, because we're also, you know, record-wise the same. And and look at us. Um, I do think Oklahoma State's performances, we've built up this sort of, um, you know, mystique around them this season. And I don't want to sort of demean what they've, done and stuff um but all that they've done that's really different from OU is they haven't disappointed against the really bad opponents they've played how everyone should play against Kansas against West Virginia and whatever else and the way their schedule worked out all of those games were backloaded obviously they had their their fairly easy out of conference schedule uh that they struggled with but then you look at their schedule and they rip through everyone not named OU significant in the Big 12 they play K-State, Baylor, Texas, and then Iowa State right there, right in sort of the early middle of the season. So then they could coast on, you know, the the Kansas teams and, and West Virginia and, and whatever else. So I think that is perhaps skewing ONTCU, uh, perhaps skewing a bit of our idea of how improved this team has been, um, because I think you could create a similar storyline with OU's schedule uh, where we have this sort of disappointing start and then a bit of an improvement and now we're like, okay, we're back where we started, but our schedule was very much backloaded. Um, so I think that is a factor. All that being said, I think I think almost everyone is thinking logically. I think I'm thinking logically, but this is college football. It is uh, a magical sport, as they call college football uh, in in uh, Italy, Sporto Bella, the, the beautiful sport. I'm sure someone has called it. I don't even know if that's actual Italian. Um I've just been watching The Sopranos lately, so I'm, I'm sort of Italian. So Bella. But, uh, <laughs> um, I, but there is there is the logical element, like you said, that OSU underperforms against OU, Gundy underperforms against OU. It kind of just doesn't matter, even when it's in Stillwater. So I think it's not illogical to keep that in your mind when you're thinking about this game. And historically, OSU is weirdly bad when not being the higher-rated team. Uh, we saw it in 2009 where they were ranked 12th and lost to a really shaky, weird Landry Jones-led OU team. Uh, got shut out, in fact. Um, 2013, a game Jameson and I love to talk about, uh, where they were on the on the prefaces of a Big 12 championship and blew it at home. Um, but th- that's the problem, is leaning on your history will just get you burnt if you don't focus on the now. And you, and you, and you don't focus on how to beat this team because, um, like Ty was saying, you know, yeah, they struggled early, but they did something OU didn't do. They adapted, they got better, they changed how they played. Uh, Spencer Sanders, you know, not a great quarterback, but you know what they did? They found Jalen Warren and started leaning on him more. Uh, and he's been a revelation for them. Uh, they, they've just, they've, they've found ways to win. They've completely reinvented themselves throughout the season. And OU was still at times looking like the team that struggled to put away Tulane and, uh, you know, West Virginia. And that that's that's the difference and when you're when you're looking at the last week of the regular season, you know, there 
let's be let's be honest. What are we gonna? What are we thinking? What are we? What are, what are we thinking here? How can how can you legitimately look at this OU team and be like, oh, they'll finally have it click? It just ain't gonna click. Um, but then again, sooner magic, I guess. You know, if you if you want to go with with that angle, uh, it could happen. But well, that's I think those are two different angles, right? Like finally having everything click and just going out and dominating the game versus just winning the game. Like you, you don't have to have that. Like the, the Texas thing is a great example, right? Like I, hopefully we haven't all forgotten that now, but like the weird like forward handoff like thing, like Caleb Williams just having like a ridiculous like go off game, um, you know, so it it doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have, we don't have to be happy about how we did it. You know, we can, we can sort of uh, bumble our way through like a comedy action hero um, you know, we can go through like Will Ferrell and the other guys and, and solve the case at the end of the day. Um, as long as we come out with a win. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's all that matters. Um, because this OSU team is, is it, they're going to be a challenge, uh, defensively just so sound. So, you know, complete. Um, but what? Well, yeah. And I, I just think they're just such a tough matchup. I, I think they're a bad matchup for OU right now. Uh, given how Caleb Williams and the OU offense have been sputtering, um, J- Jamison, what do, how, what can OU's offense do to have success against the Cowboys? Is what where do you go from here? I hate to say this, but I really think my key to the game for OU to succeed is obviously they're going to have to do a lot of the things right. Um, but at the same time, I feel like OSU just has to come out and just not do that well. Um, there's going to be things that we can do to help that. But at the same time, it would I think it's very, very key for us to win if OSU also loses the game. I think we really need that. And like you said, we've seen that in the past that OSU has done that. And there's a kind of a little brother effect um, to where they have not done that well versus us. But if so, I think OSU needs to lose it. And also I think the areas that we need to win it, especially from the offensive side, like you said, that I I really I, I think it has to be the run game, and there's no doubt about it. Um if we can get ahead on first and second down and not throw the ball and get into third down, um, we can do well. Last week, we were miserable on third down. I think we were one for 10 for third down. And like you said at the beginning of this um, preview, you said they're one of the best third down teams in the nation. They are the best third down team in the nation. Like I'm pretty sure they're number one in the nation. So if we can get ahead of it and kind of – run down the field and control the tempo of this and make it feel like it's our game and not their game, it's going to be very key in a hostile environment. And the Sooners have to do something that they haven't done great at all season long, and that starts start fast. Um, this environment is about to be, quite frankly, like Bedlam is always insane, but this is mm-hmm. going to be the last Bedlam in Stillwater for the foreseeable future, likely. Um, and it the, the amount of venom... The amount of energy, the amount of hate, it, it, it's going to be off the charts. Um, just completely off the charts madness. You got the night game going. Um, you have all the SEC stuff added in. It, it, it's going to be a level of crazy. I, I don't know that we've really seen in this in this rivalry. So the first thing you, you got to do, you, and it's so easy to say it, but if OU can have success early and take the crowd out of the game, uh, get control, get those OSU fans immediately start thinking, oh God, it's happening again. Um, that's, that's the best you can do. Uh, that, that, that is, 
that's that's how you win. That's how you win bedlam games on the road. Uh, get those paddle people start, you know, slowly tapping, you know, the 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 uh, the, the Rudolph inflatable. Have have, have the like, let, take the air out of that a little bit. Um, He's gonna be there. There's no doubt about it. Oh no. Oh yeah. It, because that that crowd is good enough to win you a game, um, and it's it's good enough to make this a game. You know, you, you've seen in the past the bedlam games that are close. They're they're all because OU screwed up. Baker Mayfield in 2017, um, that fumble that uh, I, I believe they immediately scored on a scoop and score. Uh, that had Bob the, that crowd rocking the entire way. Stoops play calling in 14. Yeah, well, uh, that was in Norman. Thankfully, weirdly enough, they're better Not... in Norman. I think uh, I, I don't know. And you know, something someone on Twitter noted. Noted. I'm sorry for missing your name on it, but uh, I saw him tweet at uh, Blinken Riley. Uh, OSU has won the last two Bedlam games that end in one, which is super weird. Uh, so, you know, 2011 was the big Justin Blackman year. Uh, Justin Blackman, Whedon, you know, should have made the national title. And then 2001 was the year that made that program, you know, with the Donovan Woods catch. Um, Donovan Woods, also also Pogai, all that. Um, so... I don't know. I don't know. If, if we're if we're thinking about weird history stuff, we also have to look at the OSU side of things, I guess. Yeah, I will say one of, one of the interesting factors about it being um, in Stillwater and then just sort of the when it's a Norman thing is, like you guys said, if we keep it close, if we don't take the crowd out of the game, uh, you get this weird situation where OSU's stadium, although it seats like half the people roughly that OU's, that's like it's not actually, but around half the people that OU seats um, by the time that like the fourth quarter comes around, both stadiums are seating about the same amount of people. <laughs> Unless OU is just dominating in Stillwater. Um, so funny. there is that factor. There's a little complex joke there. But... No, I, I see where you're going at. And OU has not played on, on the road like much at all due to, uh, you know, the two lane game getting scheduled or re, or re rescheduled, removed to uh, Norman. Um, Really, they they've had the three games, you know, at K State, which is, you know, that's a Not that okay far. tough environment uh, at Kansas, which again they had to beg people to come in, and then at Baylor, which was you know it was a good environment, but you know not exactly this cauldron of doom, and we struggled there. Uh, so I I don't know that that crowd is something to be concerned about for sure, uh, and you know I, I guarantee you like that. That is going to be a just wild environment that uh, I personally am excited to see. So, um, well, yeah, and it's there's a big storyline, you know, to just sort of ride the, the momentum wave here. Like you said, there's that that big storyline. I feel like we've kind of forgotten it a little bit, uh, but everyone always gives OU their best shot, uh, and I would assume also Texas in, in the Big Twelve, just regardless. And then, like you said, the whole SEC thing has come out. It's a whole nother level of hatred. No one has been burned by that as much potentially as OSU. Uh, and they have definitely hung on to that storyline far more than other fan bases from what I've seen. And then it's a rivalry game. It's their biggest rivalry game. So it's always super contentious for them. They have a massive chip on their shoulder. Um, and it is that sort of, little brother dynamic where you know they're always going to come up and, and just keep trying to, to start stuff and and that's why it's important for 
OU because like we talked about, we have that sort of idea that we're just innately superior and, and we're just going to float through and, and do whatever and, and come out with a win, uh, which traditionally has just kind of worked out against OSU. Um, but at the same time, none of those wins were just handed to us, right? Like hey, we, we earned them, whether it by luck or, uh, you know, just by better play. And we're going to have to do that again here this week. Oh, yeah. last note. I am so glad. I know it, I say this constantly ever since the, the like handful of times it's been different. So glad we're actually playing this game when it should be played at the end of the regular season and not like in at the end of October or something like that. I, I've never been like a huge, you know, Bedlam has to be, you know, the Thanksgiving game, uh, mainly because, you know, I, I think historically if I was like a college football czar, it'd be OU Nebraska no matter what. We just ignore it. Uh, I would I would honestly rather play Nebraska every Thanksgiving than OSU, um, just just to be frank. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I I see what you mean, and it it feels big, and it is big because you know um, it it could potentially trigger a, a double bedlam, which well, it'll be you know, a series, yeah, we've never seen, which would be very. It just fun. has to be a rivalry on Thanksgiving weekend because it's rivalry week. You know, yeah. everyone plays their rivals, um, so uh, it just has to be, and it's difficult. You know, without. Uh, you know, Nebraska and Texas being at the position that it is every single year, we really don't have a choice. So it's going to be Oklahoma State. Yeah, and, and we actually have some spicy comments on our uh, YouTube here. Oh, awesome. uh, 1982 Boomer Sooner says, did you see what the loser Gundy said about Bedlam? Uh, which he, he, he said in his press conference today that uh, he did not believe that um, they would be, uh, OU, Bedlam would continue when mm-hmm. OU moves to the SEC. And then uh, 1982 Boomer Sooner also says Georgia plays Georgia Tech and South Carolina plays Clemson. Why can't OS OS? Uh, who? He, kind of, he tried to say OS who, but he added the U instead of the O. <laughs> uh, play their. Why why can't we play OS who who they're scared loser mentality? Um, thank you for the comment, by the way. I, I always love you know comments. Uh, you know, chime in. So I, I gotta ask, uh, should they keep playing Bedlam, you know, from the OU perspective uh, and the OSU perspective. Jameson, I'll let you yeah. start. OU perspective, of course they should. It's great. Revenue is great. Um, any time, kind of in-state rivalry, rivalries in general is just, you know, great for, for revenue. But from the OSU standpoint, I don't see why. Um, if they leave the conference, what's in it for OSU? Um, like you said, their record versus us has not been that good historically, and they know that talent-wise – there's a bigger chance that OU is going to have more talent on the field of OSU here on in the future, just because just that's how college football works. So now that they're not in the conference, why would OSU in a conference that's going to be thought of as less, um, and it's going to be harder to get in the playoffs because there's going to be three really big time conferences want to have a very hard rivalry game out of conference game. And then whoever they have like lined up for their out of conference games in the future also have to play then. It's just asking for them for, to do failure. So I understand from the OSU standpoint why they shouldn't. Yeah, a- absolutely. Absolutely. Ty? Yeah. Uh, um, can you repeat the question? I'm sorry. I was reading. Something. Oh, oh no. You're, you're, you're so fine. Uh, the question is, um, uh, should this series continue from the OU side and also your opinion from the uh, Oklahoma State side? I would like for it to. So I, I like the two sort of – potential story. I, I like, um, well, I, I agree with sort of what was previously said and that what's in it for OSU really, 
Um, Cause I think we've given them a big, you know, reason not to cooperate, not to go out of their way to help us anyways. Or, you know, if you want to take a more cynical approach, a reason to, to give them to not, you know, want to, you know, just take an L. Um, I obviously, we don't know the sort of the specifics of how SEC scheduling is going to work out, but they do traditionally have that sort of uh, late in the season. Actually, I think we saw it a lot uh, this past week uh, where they just play FCS teams. Um, so if OU were to do the the right thing, you know, because we've been pretty critical about that um, in the past with Bama and, and with, you know, some other schools. And I'm not talking the schooner pod. I'm talking like Stoops and, and Riley um, and a lot of other, you know, people just within OU officially. And then a lot of bigger uh, OU and Big 12 commenters have been very harsh on those SEC teams for scheduling those FCS games. So that's potentially an opening in our schedule that sort of makes sense that we could work that in, uh, that we would have assuming that stays. Um, but at the same time, you know, what's in it for, for OU either, because it, to me, OSU, I understand the, the tradition, but OSU is a bigger, uh, more interesting rivalry to me than Nebraska. If we had to choose to bring that one back, uh, at least until Nebraska can make it a sort of competitive game. I know it was more than it needed to be this year, but, um, and I'm a little too young, I guess, in terms of caring about OU football to really be into the OU Nebraska dynamics. So I sort of grew up on this, this OSU, uh, being more relevant thing, uh, which is more fun. So, um, but like we talked about, not to beat a dead horse, but if I had to pick one, it would be maintaining Red River and, and we maintain that. So who knows? Um, I, I see home and homes being very likely, but uh, it, an annual series I think is, is pretty unlikely. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think it's, it's very clear that Bedlam's important, but OU Texas is the primary. Important or the, the most the uh, of, uh, utmost importance without a doubt um and you know michael whitman uh dropped a very interesting question here uh he said mentioning his that his girlfriend uh grew up in a smaller oklahoma town and uh growing up bedlam was a bigger deal and it, it, it in some parts of oklahoma it, it absolutely is it, it really depends on geographic location um i know specifically with with that case uh, she's more in the northeast part of uh oklahoma and that's that would that, that that checks out uh for sure um, so, it, you know, it, it, it is a big game. It is a big game and it's a big game across sports, uh, basketball, you know, back when it was humming with, you know, uh, Kelvin Sampson and, um, you know, Eddie Sutton. I mean, those were Jameson, you remember those were big nights, mm, you know, course. whenever you would, whenever you had that matchup on a big Monday, you know, that, that is something that, you know, your parents would let you stay up for, uh, in some po- pockets, you know, bedlam wrestling is, is, is enormous. So it, it is. It is. I think incredibly important for the state. I think Oklahoma um, OU should definitely try to do it. Uh, I don't see OSU biting for it initially, um, but I, I think it's. I think it's in both schools' best interest, and I, I think particularly, particularly overall, in Oklahoma State's best interest to play OU um, because you know at keeping that marquee matchup. It I, I think is important. Um, I think it adds energy. I think, um, and I, I, I mean this in the nicest way But for way winning, possible. though? For winning, no. For for getting OU off the slate for, for football, great deal. But um, I, I, I don't know. I, I think you lose a bit of your identity when you when you get rid of your villain. 
if if the bat if Batman didn't have like Joker anymore, then what you know you sure you have other you know villains to deal with, but it's just not yeah. as interesting. Taxes, you know. I I think I I, I think Cancel OSU culture. loses a little steam there, and then you know obviously the point a bunch of OU fans like to talk about you know the kind of helps season tickets. You know they they sell season tickets just for Bedlam, um because you can't buy that one individually. So. Uh, not trying to backhand compliment, but I, I just, I, I, I don't, it, it's like taking away their homecoming. Uh, it, it's a major event. I think, I think they need it. Um, and I, I could see it happening 10 years later. Um, because I, 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 I think it's part of their DNA. Uh, and I think it's a major deal for them. Um, even if they lose, I, I think it, I think it matters culturally and it matters culturally to us too. Um, I just don't think it's as big of a loss or as big of a sting, uh, in a way. And I, I, I mean that in, in a not, I, I'm not trying to be derogatory towards Oklahoma state at all. Even, even though I know it's rivalry week. Um, but yeah, it just, uh, I, I, I think, I think for them, it just means more. That's all I'll have oh to say. God, Bobby, really? <laughs> I'm sorry. It's a yeah. little. It for does mean that, more for all that Oklahoma State University has done for you. That's what. That's the respect you repay them with. It it does, and that's why it's such a great experience. It, I no, love I do. It. I so I do like it. In short, uh, I do think that the equation changes um, in five, and then definitely ten years from whenever we depart. Uh, I think you know Lincoln Riley going to LSU uh, in the off season. Uh, announcement coming oh, very soon. I just I heard a plane. Chance. I live yeah. in Norman and I heard a plane. And there's yeah. no planes flying in out of Norman unless our coach is leaving to somewhere else. Sa- of course, sassy, the shit, sassy the shit. Sassy the shit. Sassy the shit. On Twitter, planes don't fly in and out of Norman regularly. Only when our head coach is leaving. Only us. whenever there is a very rich person that uses wheels up to go visit his daughter, who's a, in a sorority and like a sophomore junior at OU. Yeah. Shout out Sassy. But, um, uh, yeah, but so what I was going to say uh, before I went off on my, my tangent was I, the rose-colored glasses sort of idea of, you know, we have this traditional thing going. It is good for the state. And and I thank you for the comments, um, everyone, and, and Michael, especially for the one that sort of spurred this. Um, but it is important for the state, and I believe in that. And I think that that's a very legitimate argument. I, I think that a lot of OSU people played it incorrectly. Um, when when the news first came out. But, you know, the betterment of the state, when we're talking about our public schools, that their athletic programs make a ton of money and are one of the biggest publicity things that the state has, it is important for the state. And that's a very legitimate, uh, you know, argument to present. So I think it is important, um, you know, not to get too political, but I think possibly there is, you know, some sort of governmental stuff that could occur there uh, in terms of, incentivizing it obviously they're not going to make a law that says mm. you have to play. but um with this you know, state like, you never know oh no i got political ah! <laughs> this is but, a good time to end this podcast no but i it is important i hope it continues and i think that any sort of bitterness will probably fade as the years go on i i agree i agree um and yeah no I, i'm with you i'm with you um so oklahoma state you know wish you all the best we're gonna kind of miss you, I think. But um, yeah, Jameson, do you have any final thoughts on OSU? 
Final thoughts is I feel like this is kind of similar to how we were discussing Texas coming into the game. This is a rivalry game. We know there's a lot going into it. But in the past, with these games, we're making really bold claims. We're talking about it. Right now, we're very, very calm in the way we're talking about it. We're not saying anything too crazy. You can tell the way that we're discussing this is we don't feel that confident. Yes, we see an avenue for us to win, but we're not really going out there too much because we're kind of, you know, internally hedging our bets. So this is a very weird and rare feeling for OU in the regular season. Um, It's going to be a very interesting game for us moving into Saturday. There's going to be some broken hearts. Yeah, no no matter what happens, um, one of these sides is walking away devastated. Um, I just want to make it clear. I'm not hedging. Like, we're going to do picks later. OU's going to win, you know. Okay. Don't accuse me of of the Sonic. (laughs) Yeah, y'all got to tune into that because we got a healthy slate, and we're going to be recording that right after this. We're going to be releasing that, you know, later in the week. Um, so keep an eye out for that. Oh, yeah. Podcast listeners, we can spread drops on Thursday morning. Uh, well, I just realized that's really bad timing. Uh, not Thursday morning. I will rethink that one. Uh, but uh, if you're watching this live, make sure to stay tuned because we're about to drop a Wednesday morning because the game's on Friday. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Wednesday morning and, and you know, Thanksgiving. And Ole, and Ole Miss. The Ole Miss game is on Thursday night, right? And we're picking It's got to be, yeah. Wednesday, Wednesday morning will be a weekend spread. So, um, yeah. yeah. Well, that is our episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, as always, uh, Ty Jameson, thanks for coming on. Um, we will be back next week when we talk about uh, this game. And hopefully <laughs> this game and maybe this game again, this game and maybe this game again, uh, but in Arlington, or we'll just be uh, talking about sadness and a, and a broken streak in a bye week um, and our Alamo bowl plans. Maybe I, I don't know. It, it's really a feast or famine uh, situation for the podcast for sure. So um, make sure to stay tuned. It's going to be interesting for sure. Um, well, Anyways, hope y'all have anyways. a great. Yeah, anyways, hope y'all have a great Thanksgiving. Uh, hope y'all have a great week and have an excellent Bedlam game, uh, whether you're watching it in the stadium or you know with your family and friends. So, until next week, we have been the Schooner Pod. Have a good one, Boomer Sooner. Beat the Pokes.